We'll find out yeah. if it, my memory gets jogged as we're going through that in probably three years or however long it takes us to get to Legend of Korra. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> That's that that sound right there was Acorn realizing she's stuck with me for another at least three years. <laughs> <laughs> my soul dying inside. <laughs> Welcome back to Avatar, the podcast. As always, we are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello. We're not going to leave you in suspense this week. That, that was very mean last time that we did that. So we're just going to go right <laughs> are through Are you apologizing, it. Greg? I'm apologizing. I'm sorry. That was mean. That was a cruel joke. It won't happen. Or <laughs> I won't say it won't happen again because I'll probably just default to it, but I'll try not to let it happen again. <laughs> I personally loved it. Well, thanks. But. I felt bad because I wonder if some people are like, it could be literally, where'd Greg go? Or they could be like, oh, great. It's not Greg. I don't know what your thought was, but it is me for now and always. So, yay. <laughs> this episode, we will be talking about chapter 14, The Fortune Teller, or as we like to call it, Ang and Katara sitting in a tree. B-E-N-D-I-N-G. I feel like I should have a response to that, but I don't. That's just so good. <laughs> I'm transported back to elementary school. I know. I know. I, I got this. We'll talk about it in the episode, but this whole episode, I was just like, it's just like little crushes going on all over the place. It's so cute. It's so cute. It's so good. Before we dive into the episode, let's go check our mailbox for some more Aang mail. Yeah. Uh, we also, so here's the thing is Acorn and I were walking to, not really, but like, in the scenario that I'm building for you, we're walking over to the mailbox. It's a beautiful summer's day, right? We could see the ocean. And I noticed that there was a messenger hawk right on top of the mailbox before we could even get to the Ang mail. Uh, so I literally, I took off the message from his arm talon thing. I don't know what talon, I guess. <laughs> and I noticed that we had a tweet and a review so I'm just going to go ahead and read those right now. So the, the first thing that came up out of the message is from Ice Wolf Origins. And Ice Wolf said, Meet listening to the lava bending debate in Winter, Stol- Stolstice, in Winter Solstice Part 2 on Avatar the Podcast. After seeing all the way through Avatar the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, like, and then it's, I don't know what this means, but I've seen it and I, I know what it means. Kind of, I think. Eyeball, open mouth, eyeball. So it's like a, whoa, is what I interpreted as. I don't know what yeah. it actually means though. For me, it's just like eyes open in like complete and utter disbelief. Yeah. I think the disbelief is towards us for not knowing more about lava bending. So oh no, I'm we're so going sorry. to address that. Oh, I'm so sorry. And then that <laughs> that also makes sense because we did get a new five-star review uh, that is kind of on this subject as well. And this one comes from GeoCenter. And GeoCenter writes magma bending as the subject. And in the text goes on to continue... In Korra, lava bending is used by earthbenders, but is a rare ability, which makes sense. Although I'm going to say it's not fair that earthbenders get all the rare abilities. It seems to me at this point in the show. So right now we have, I know what happens with Toph. I remember that. Everyone remembers that. That has least, uh-huh. at least seen this once through. So that's number one. We have King Boomy. Whether his special ability with the creeping crystal is actually real or not, we don't know. Right. And then we have lava bending. That's three. 
And right now, all we know is firebenders have one. Yep. With firebending, you can bend lightning. Mm-hmm. And apparently you can also... Well, actually, no, I take that back. I was going to say you could bend magma, but this whole topic is based on Roku, who is an avatar, mm-hmm. being able to bend magma. So, so we're he not was 100%... Using, I think, think he was using earthbending, which is what Geocenter is bringing up. And what I think Ice Wolf, who is in utter disbelief at our yes. <laughs> our inability to figure that out. So sorry, Ice Wolf. But now we know with a little bit of help yeah. from our friend Geocenter. Yes. And Ice Wolf. I know we mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but Greg and I have not seen all the way through Legend of Korra. Sure. I believe we stopped at different points. I want to say that I got to maybe season two, season three. And I think, Greg, you stopped at season one, if I I'm not mistaken. I don't even remember where I stopped. I, I remember, I told you the last thing I remembered, and I don't want to bring yeah, it up because it's a spoiler. Yeah, but it's Amon. But I don't remember if I made it past that or not. Um, yeah. In any case, this is my deepest shame to you, our Avatar fans. <laughs> so, so you now yes. know it. There is now There are now no secrets between us. So I know. Well, it's <laughs> okay we because, you know, we went into this for the journey. It's true. We expect fully to become fully realized avatars yes. by the end of this journey yep. because we will have learned so much mm-hmm. that we will be able to ascend. But, oh, something just dawned on me, though. Something just dawned on me oh, about what? that. One of us has to die in order for that to be true. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there can only be one avatar at, at the same time. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, it's fine. We'll have a survivor style vote at the end of Korra. Yeah. Well, the fans decide, I guess. (laughs) Either way, thank you, Ice Wolf Origins and Geocenter for writing in, even if it is to correct us or to poke fun at us or just to gaze on and disbelieve. (laughs) We appreciate you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. If if we're ever or I'll say it for me, if I'm ever wrong, please let me know immediately. I would rather be corrected and be correct from then on than to just continue living in my Greg mind where I'm right all the time. So Please let me know. Yes, mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. Also, just thinking about your Greg mind, I just It's a very I, scary place. <laughs> I I believe that. <laughs> lots of lots of funny um sound effects going on at any and given puns. point and puns. Puns and just sound constant effects. Puns. Just constant puns. It's very dark. <laughs> oh man. So, also on this messenger hawk and I just have to say I love I love that picture you painted and I also need to ask is this what it's come to after being in quarantine for so long? Yeah. We're imagining this a mailbox by the seaside with a messenger hawk on it. 100%. Yes. That's, <laughs> An excuse that's to get on. out of our houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, our other piece of Ang mail comes from Ashley. And Ashley writes, Hi there. I've been an Avatar fan since day one and have encouraged many friends and family members to take an interest in the show. Since lockdown, people are finally seeing how amazing it is and understand my obsession. I even have tattoos and all my future ideas are inspired by the show. I have all the elements in Tibetan, including space, and the sun and moon in Tibetan. I also have the endless knot, which means everything is interconnected. I plan to get the moon spirit koi fish on my arm in the yin yang formation and a white lotus flower, of course. Thank you guys for existing. It's been a pleasure listening to you take on each episode. I'm not sure if you'll go back to the previous ones with queries regarding older episodes, but here are some of my thoughts. I wonder if there were other creatures besides Momo at the Southern Air Temple. Also, I saw a theory where the way the avatars are lined up, it looks like the statues are coming to an end. 
Due to what Korra does, unfortunately, the line ends. So is that potentially foreshadowing for the line of avatars to be over since the statues are lined up in that way? I will email more frequently with questions. Thanks. Thank you so much, Ashley, for Thank writing you. in. And uh, just like last week, actually two weeks ago, mm. as we've we've kind of covered already with some of the, the pieces of Angmail and the reviews that are coming in, we love discourse like this. So whenever you have a point to make on a previous episode, yes, please let us know because we will circle back during this little segment where we cover Angmail and talk about it. I, I have wondered that, too, about the creatures at the air temples, because we do find out later in the series that the sky bison were not extinct. Yeah, they're, they're baby, the they're baby one. ones, right? I think I remember baby, baby sky bison somehow. Yeah, they come back yeah. in Republic City, I believe, or somewhere. They're, the air nomad nation begins again, and they found sky bison. And so, you know, they start breeding and growing in numbers. And so up is not the last one, but we didn't see any sky bison at the temple. So right. from what we saw, Momo was the only living creature there, but that's not to say there wasn't others. So I am curious about that too. Yeah. I wonder how many other lemurs there were there. Yeah. And as far as the Korra thing goes, I don't believe I got that far in Korra, but I have heard that because of some of the actions that she took, something happened to the line of avatars. And I'm not 100% sure what that means, but I am very excited to get to it. I know. I'm looking forward to jumping back into that series with a fresh perspective. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we do have one last piece of Angmail to go over, and this one comes from Jackson. Jackson writes... You're doing a great job. Thanks. Thanks, bud. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to do this now. I'm just going to like offer my little like Mystery Science 3000 jabs as I go through this. <laughs> they write, hello. I just wanted to reach out and say how much I love this podcast series. The last Airbender series began when I was six years old. And because of this universe often gives me feelings of home and adolescence. It's truly amazing to see a resurgence within the Avatar fandom as old fans return to the series and new fans have begun their exploration 15 years after it initially began. This podcast is perfect for both demographics as you explore hidden themes and values that give new meaning to each episode, as well as the series itself. My one issue is that, so this is when I read this, so I was like, oh my God, my one issue, like my heart skipped a beat and I was like, no, but let me continue. <laughs> my one issue is that this podcast only has one episode per week. And then my heart went, okay. But I suppose that fits with Uncle Iroh's repeated lessons of patience and learning to live within the moment. Keep up the amazing work. And I look forward to every new episode with great anticipation. Jackson continues with my top five characters. This is Jackson's top five, not mine. Because mine's Sokka, 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 Sokka. And so no, I'm just kidding. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Jackson's are Katara, Zuko, Sokka, Toph, Iroh, in parentheses, the man taught an entire generation. Jackson's top five themes for the series overall, balance, true strength lies within, friendship embeds us with newfound power, family is not always about blood. That's actually really funny based on the conversation we just had. <laughs> Yes, about next week's episode. Uh, yeah, Stay tuned for that, Jackson. So, Well-timed. Well-timed. Identity comes from the choices we make rather than where we come from. Ooh. You guys are amazing. Best regards, Jackson. Jackson. Wow. My friend. Jackson. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for writing in, Jackson. And you raise a lot of good points. I also am really enjoying the fact that there's old fans as well as new fans watching this show together and then having this great discussion about the characters and the themes. I also agree with you. The one problem that we see with the podcast is we can only produce it so fast. I know. I know. We also wish yeah. we could produce more than one episode a week. But as you say, we have to rely on Uncle Iroh's repeated lessons of patience yeah. and learn to live with us together. <laughs> Jackson's top five are all... You cannot have a bad top five unless it's just Ozai, 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 and Zhao. <laughs> Zhao. <laughs> Yes, those are those that that would be like a not great top five to have. So always agree with that. But Katara wins out as number one right there. Yay! So, finally, Katara gets number one on someone's list. I know that's not just yours. Yeah, it's not just mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, those themes, though, too, yeah. man, balance, true strength lies within friendship embeds us with newfound power. Family is not always about blood and identity comes from the choices we make rather than where we come from. Mm-hmm. 100%, 1000%. And yeah. I think that is one of the reasons why Avatar is such a timeless show because those are themes that transcend generations. Mm-hmm. Those are themes that are always satisfying to explore. And relevant too, I would say, yeah. And relevant, yeah. 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 Uh, and also, Jackson, you are amazing, my friend. Thank you so much for writing in. We super appreciate it. Remember, uh, if you're listening to these and you're like, I wrote into you, Greg and Acorn, why haven't you read it yet? Again, it's my fault because we're limiting it again. We've gotten so many great responses, uh, so many things to talk about. We we don't want to do a whole episode because, as Jackson points out, there are folks that are waiting week to week for these episodes. So we don't want to like delay anything too, too much. And if you wanted to write in, you could always email us at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at podcastavatar. Or leave a five-star written review. And one more exciting bit of news to go over before we jump into our episode synopsis. We really appreciate all the support everyone has been giving to us. And we want to give back. So we are going to be running a giveaway for the Appa enamel pins. Yes, they're so good. Yes, I'm so excited. We're going to be giving away five of these over the next couple weeks. So as of today, you can hop on over to our Twitter at Podcast Avatar and find the link to the giveaway there. There's going to be a lot of different ways to enter. We hope it's going to be fun for you guys. Each winner will be drawn and announced live on the podcast, and we'll be reaching out so you can provide a shipping address for us to and ship. And you your- can wear it while listening to the episodes oh, and man. watching. And like again, I think I've said this on a past episode. If you have received an Appa pin or are going to receive an Appa pin, if you want to post like a picture of yours uh, on a piece of clothing or a backpack or or whatever, you want to take a selfie with it, please tweet it at us, uh, email it to us, whatever. Like we, we want to see Sky Bison out in the wilderness. Yeah. And that goes for our five lucky winners for this giveaway. We'd love to see your pin. Best of luck to all those who enter. Again, you can find details about this giveaway on our Twitter account, which is at Podcast Avatar. And without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Yes. Again, we are covering Chapter 14, The Fortune Teller. This episode was directed by Dave Filoni. My buddy. Yay. Yay. And written by Aaron Ehas. Our episode opens with our heroes relaxing at camp beside a calm river. 
Suddenly, a large fish jumps out of the water. Sokka gets to his feet and watches as the fish continues to jump out of the water, finally flashing him what seems like a smirky, taunting expression. Convinced the fish is taunting him, Sokka grabs his fishing rod and promises that it's gonna be dinner. He soon discovers that the fishing line is missing from his rod and quickly finds out it's because Aang has used it to make a necklace for Katara to replace the one that she lost. I always thought that she got that necklace back for some reason. Like, I never paid attention to it. Because Zuko had it with him in the waterbending scroll and shows it to her and is like, I can give you your necklace back. But then I guess they ran away before he could. Yeah. And also, what a creep. Like, why are you still holding on to that? Yeah, it's like it's basically leverage for him at this point. And I I guess he's just holding on to it because he'll use it one day to again try to manipulate Katara. But I know it it sucks that she hasn't been able to get it back yet, even though she ran into him and saw it and was that close. Yeah. So that fish, I learned it's called a Seitu fish. Mm -hmm. And it was a little unsettling how human like its face was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I looked at it. I was like kind of blocked it out to be honest with you it was just like i don't like this fish <laughs> so disturbing you blocked it out yeah well i did find it was a favorite food of the platypus bear which kind of explains why in a little bit we'll see that the platypus bear was kind of hanging out by this river mm. but it's been known to grow to the size of a full-grown man and is similar to the catfish in appearance and freshwater habitat from our world you know what it kind of reminds me of what now that i'm like staring at it i'm facing my nightmares for everyone right now if you (laughs) as a child were to misinterpret the little mermaid and thought that flounder was a monster it reminds me of like a warped deformed flounder i can absolutely see that it kind of has like a big a big forehead yep right has that like yeah like no chin no chin yeah it looks like flossum and jetsum combined with flounder oh my god nightmare fuel (laughs) nightmare fuel. okay i'm gonna stop looking at it now yeah, I think it's really the eyelids that do it. The mm-hmm. upper eyelids and the bags under his eyes. That's the part that's like, you know, too too uncanny valley. That's just uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, move on, please. <laughs> Sokka goes back to attacking the fish, this time with his dagger, while Katara puts on Aang's necklace. When she asks how she looks, Aang blushes and tells her that she, it, I mean, both look great. Sokka teases Aang for being smushy towards Katara, and Katara promptly friend zones Aang by calling him a sweet little guy, just like Momo. That is heartbreaking. Ouch. He like finally realizes or is beginning to realize his feelings for Katara. And uh-huh. like I don't think I don't think he's like fully realized them quite yet. Like it's just kind of happening. And she's immediately like, he's like a brother. This is great. And he's like, what's the opposite yeah. of what I wanted? Yeah. Oh, poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah. But at the same time, we've all been there. Yeah. It's one of those uncomfortable feelings of disappointment that we are all familiar with. Yeah. You think you're going to one direction. All of a sudden it's like, nope, you're not even on the right book. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah. Okay, fine. Not even on the radar. Not even there. Sokka comes out of the river wet and empty handed just as they start hearing growling nearby. Aang climbs onto a rock and sees a man getting attacked by a platypus bear. Sokka and Katara rush to him and see the man calmly dodging the platypus bear's attacks. He greets them pleasantly while continuing to dodge. Aang, Sokka, and Katara shout suggestions like making noise, playing dead, climbing a tree, and punching it in the bill. But the man assures them that everything will be fine. A quick note on this guy. So I couldn't find a name for him. Everything I've seen 
including I went into the Avatar Wiki, went to IMDb, went the usual places. They just called him the Calm Man. Uh, is voiced by Clyde Kusatsu, who also did the voice of Basang in the Storm. Oh, it's the okay. same voice actor. So this is we've seen it happen a couple times where they reuse voice actors. Uh, this is a notable one, but I think his voice is just so different that it wasn't like it wasn't obvious to me. I'll say. Yeah. 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 You couldn't really tell. Mm-hmm. Aang finally steps in, ready to scare off the bear, but a nice big growl from Appa startles the platypus bear into laying an egg before running away into the river. The calm man thanks them for their help, but again says that everything would have been okay. Aunt Wu predicted he'd have a safe journey. He explains that she is the fortune teller from his village. While Katara is intrigued by the thought of knowing her future, Sokka exclaims that the fortune teller was wrong because he just almost seriously got hurt. But I wasn't, the man replies. He gives him the umbrella he brought with him under Aunt Wu's guidance and then leaves. A moment later, it starts raining. (laughs) It's so good. He's just like, yeah, I could have been, but I wasn't. So everything's fine. And uh, Aunt Wu was 100% right and all is right in the world. And this is just how I go about things. Yeah. 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 That's going to be a common theme in this episode. It's the, well, she was right in the end. Yeah. I mean, sure, the details might be a little muddy, but she was correct. So why are we (laughs) questioning this? Yeah, exactly. When it rains and there's that one little moment where Katara water bends to create her own like umbrella over her head. How cool is that? Mm, yeah. Yeah. That was like very ingenious, but it also shows how much she's learned about bending where it was very effortless too. And like, yes, so she's done this before, I would imagine just with how casual she was with it. Yep. Little nods to her continued progress with being a waterbender, which I super appreciate. Yeah, for real. That little moment, too, where they share an umbrella. Uh, I saw a fun fact that this is a very well-known and old romantic motif that's used in Japanese history and is also commonly used in manga and anime, Yep. where two characters share an umbrella. And in Japanese, it's called Ai Ai Gasa. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was just like a sweet little moment. But then, of course, once I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen that before in other places. Yeah, I can't, I was really thinking about all of the anime that I've watched and I couldn't place a specific example, but I've definitely seen this before. Right? Yeah. yeah, same. Our trio begins walking along the path towards the village the old traveler told them about. Sokka complains on the way about the fortune teller. Of course she was able to predict it would rain. The sky has been gray all day. Katara tells him that if he admits that he might have been wrong, he can share the umbrella with her and Aang. But instead, he sarcastically predicts that it's going to keep drizzling. Like magic, the sky clears up and the rain stops. <laughs> oh, Sokka, stop trying to tell the future. You can't do it. <laughs> In this episode especially, it's like the universe is pitted against him. It's I love that so much. Like That would be a really good movie, I think, where it's just like the universe is pitted to mildly inconvenience one individual throughout his life or her life or their yeah. life. That'd be really funny. It'd be like... Final destination, but not super violent, like a comedy. That's what I envision. Right? That, yeah. Yes. Um, Man Seeking Woman is the closest show I can think of that has that kind of premise where the main character just has all of these very small misfortunes happen to him in succession. Mm. It's a really great show if anyone is looking for something kind of quirky and outlandish to watch. They really um, kind of bend reality in that show in a very good way. Actually, I haven't seen this. I'm going to watch this now, you know, when hey. I when I have free time, which I don't. It's but... on Hulu. Oh, good. Then I can definitely access it. Yes. Yeah. Sweet. Makapu Village sits nestled under the watchful gaze of Mount Makapu, surrounded by dense forest. 
Aang, Sokka, and Katara arrive at the home of Aunt Wu and are greeted by a white-haired man who tells them that Aunt Wu has been expecting them. I did learn that the fertile volcanic soil surrounding Mount Makapu and its hidden location, kind of like in this like dense forest in the middle of the Earth Kingdom, mm-hmm. made it a not only a successful agriculture village, but it was also untouched by the Fire Nation during the whole Hundred Year War. Mm, interesting. As we learned from the last episode, the Blue Spirit, the Fire Nation has been really involved in destroying things, including Taku. Mm. But it's nice to see a place that doesn't have any Fire Nation inhabiting the village or taking over the supply chain or forcing people to to mine in the caves. It's just these villagers. And while they have their own issues, like believing way too much in <laughs> fortunes, you know, it's a nice little place to visit. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The blind following of this oracle, so to speak, or this fortune teller, actually reminded me a lot of a Twilight Zone episode. So once we get to like Katara talking to her, yeah, I want to talk about it a little bit because I think it's too early to say it because there's a specific moment, but there's a Twilight Zone episode. It's an old one. It came out in like 1960. Oh, wow. Okay. Talks about relying on fortune tellers. So nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I did come across uh, kind of a relic, an internet relic from the Nick.com archive from 2008. And it's this like description of Aunt Wu's salon. So I wanted to read it just for for fun. Immediately upon walking through the front door of Aunt Wu's famed salon, the scent of incense fills one's nostrils. The waiting area contained mystical objects, crystals, and colored smoke. The back room of the salon was dimly lit and it was where one's fortune was revealed. Aunt Wu performed one of four different techniques for her visitors to read his or her future. Reading the bones, cards, a teacup, or one's palms. None of the experiences cost anything, which made it a must-see for any traveler. Hmm. Interesting. It kind of sounds like a description from a travel book, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I want to go there now, and I want to get my fortune read specifically by her, by Aunt Wu. What would you ask her to, to read your fortune about? I don't know. That's the thing. I don't know. I, th- I think I honestly, I would just want to walk in and I would just want to be like, what do you see at this point? I feel like yeah. if you had asked me this like 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, I'd probably, I'm really dating myself on this one. I probably would be very similar to what um, Aang and Katara are kind of looking for. And that's like information on like, you know, a future love interest or something like that, like more like romantic side. But now like. I'm an old man. I'm settled in my ways. I don't worry about any of that stuff. So I'm just like, I don't know, man. Tell me. Tell me what you see. Tell me something cool. Tell me something cool. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Man, you really are Iroh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A young girl greets them inside and introduces herself as Meng, Aunt Wu's assistant. When she sees Aang, she is instantly infatuated. We can tell this, of course, by the rosy filter and the sparkles because Aang does not look... Very enthused to be there. Mm-mm. Bang offers them tea and bean curd puffs while they wait, but quickly shifts her attention to Aang. She asks him for his name and is delighted to learn that his name rhymes with her own. She then points out the size of his ears, which confuses Aang, but he agrees that, yeah, he guesses they're big. Sokka tells him not to be modest. His ears are huge. I love that. I love that I so love much. Because that. that's revenge from a couple episodes <gasps> back. You're right. <laughs> Imprisoned, right? When Katara yeah. teases him for the size of his ears. Yeah. And then I think Aang agrees, right? Or he's just like something along Who, that line. 
You are so right. Yeah. That is hilarious. That's a really good callback for, on Avatar's wow. front. Really funny. So good. Meg leaves to get them refreshments. And while she's gone, the group talks about fortune telling. Katara says, there are things in this world that just can't be explained. Wouldn't it be nice to have some insight into your future? This is a, a cool thing that the show is doing mm -hmm. where they are assuming, like, for instance, with Jet, Jet is confident, he's strong, he's assertive, and so he's a great love interest. Well, then Katara learns the very important lesson that appearances are deceiving yeah. sometimes with people. And she found that Jet was not who he said he was, and she saw his true colors. And yeah. I feel like this is another one of those examples where she learns the important lesson of not relying too much on someone else's perspective of your life. Don't rely on on someone else's take and then forgetting to live your life on your own. Yeah. Also, she's looking for answers too. Yeah, I would, uh, yeah. I would agree with that. So you can find answers almost anywhere. It's just kind of how much you read into it and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. Now, I do know that since we just met Meng, there's a fun fact related yes. to her voice actress. Meng is voiced by Jesse Flower, who is the screen name, let's call it, for Michaela Jill Murphy. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. This is what threw me off is because I was like, there's two names here. And I was actually I was watching Honor Society, who streams on Twitch. I think everyone who's listening to this podcast knows or should know that they do rewatches of Avatar The Last Airbender. And she was on the episode. So was um, Sokka's voice actor, Jack DeSena. Yeah. Also, uh, Dante Bosco was on this particular episode that I was watching. So they had like the three of them and a couple other people like writers and stuff like that were watching. And there was like Michaela. And I was like, what? That doesn't make sense. But anyways, Jesse or Michaela does the voice acting for Toph, which is amazing. She's also in Meet the Robinsons. Oh, uh, she was also in Kronk's New Groove, the sequel to The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, my gosh. And was also in Legend of Korra for an episode. She was uh, a character named Young Suwin. Suyin is the half sister of Lin, who are the daughters of Toph, which makes sense that they would get the voice actor for Toph to do one of the daughters. Yeah. Love that. We know who Lin's father is, or the internet does, I should say. We don't know yet. We haven't gotten to that point. But Suyin seems to have some like contention as to who could be her father. Interesting. And the current theory which is that this is a quick Google search and we will talk about this in depth. I promise you, because I don't want to let this go. Once we get to Korra, is it Sokka? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's the current theory. So we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So we we obviously, like we said before, haven't gotten very far through Korra. So I can tell you that I've heard a lot of people ship Sokka and Toph. So I would love if yeah. that was actually canon. If it is canon, don't tell us. Don't, we that, that's the one thing where just don't tell us yet, please. That's a big thing that I want to learn. As Meng is coming back in with the tray of tea and puffs, a woman comes out from having her fortune told and excitedly tells Meng that her true love will give her a rare panda lily. Meng looks back at Aang and wonders wistfully if her true love will give her a rare flower. Aang waves and tells her, good luck with that. <laughs> The woman giggles and asks Meng if Aang is the big-eared guy Aunt Wu predicted she would marry. Meng hurries away in embarrassment. She almost spills the tea and puffs in Aang's lap when she gets close and, even more embarrassed, tells them to enjoy before rushing away. So the panda lily, I did find out, is very rare, and it got its name by being a black and white flower, as we see in the show. 
Uh, it's really found in the Earth Kingdom and only grows on the rim of volcanoes because it requires a very exact soil composition and humidity level to thrive. Hmm. The tradition of retrieving a flower from a highly specific and dangerous part of a mountain in order to prove one's love is very similar to the tradition involving the Edelweiss flower. Mm. This plant also grows specifically in precariously high cliffs in the Swiss Alps. And so a gift of one of these to a Swiss maiden is said to be the ultimate symbol of love. Interesting. So I wonder if that is where they drew inspiration for this. But I do think it's interesting how there's the panda lily as a symbol mm -hmm. of love in the Earth Kingdom. And then the fire lily, that's, I think, supposedly a symbol of love for the Fire Nation. It makes sense that each different kingdom would have their own like symbol. Yeah. At that moment, a mature Earth Kingdom woman dressed in yellow robes comes out to greet the group and asks who is next. Sokka and Aang avoid eye contact, prompting Katara to volunteer. She excitedly gets up and follows Aunt Wu. Aang fidgets and wonders out loud what Katara and Aunt Wu will talk about, and Sokka replies, Boring stuff. Love, who she's going to marry, how many kids she's going to have, while digging into the bowl of bean curd puffs. Aang looks nervous about this thought and quickly excuses himself to the bathroom. Aang sneaks down the hallway to eavesdrop outside the paper screen door where Aunt Wu is giving Katara her fortune. Katara asks about her love line, and Aunt Wu tells her she sees a great romance for her. The man she is going to marry will be a very powerful bender. Upon hearing this, Aang's nervousness melts away and is replaced by a smug grin. He leaps into the air in victory, believing Aunt Wu to be referring to him, and struts back <laughs> to the front room. So good. So cute. So, cute. so adorable. Aunt Wu and Katara soon join them, and Aunt Wu asks who's next. Sokka gets up in size, saying, all right, let's get this over with. Without missing a beat, Aunt Wu deadpans. Your future is full of struggle and anguish, most of it self-inflicted. Sokka protests, saying she didn't even read his palms or anything. I love this. Aunt Wu replies that she didn't need to. It's written all over his face. It's so, like, her, her <laughs> facial expression, too, is just deadpan. She's like, I don't need to. Like, she's just so, like... I don't know, like just over it. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. She's just like, whatever. I know I've like she knows him. For, I feel like from her experiences, probably with people like Sokka from her past. Yes, yeah. it is clients like Sokka yeah. that has given her her gray and white hair. I also wonder if there is someone in her life that was like Sokka that maybe like scorned her or something like that. Not purposefully, mind you, but just like Sokka is fairly in his own world pretty much all the time. And he's this journey is not only uh, learning about getting Aang to where he needs to be as an avatar, but like Sokka growing as an individual. We've seen him get over his uh, prejudice against like women being able to do more than just like, I don't know, stay at home. Um, we've seen him get over his prejudice against the Fire Nation, specifically yeah. the citizens. Uh, and now we're kind of like his worldview on fortune telling is it's crap and it's not real. And we're going to learn a little bit about that as we go through. So it's very interesting to like, maybe she sees that in him, what, what happened and not what is happening. Oh, I like that. So she's seeing Sokka in his work in progress yeah. position and not how much progress he's made as a person from the start of our journey to here. Right. Because if she actually did any sort of like the divination that she does, she probably would see that like he's going to be Ooh. something, but she doesn't because it's she sees who he is 
as he is currently and knows what he's like from her experience with those kind of people from the past. Oh, boy. Did you just debunk Aunt Wu? I know. So I, I don't I think she can actually tell the future, but I think that she has to use the abilities, right? Okay, so she's just looking at him like standing there and she's not doing a reading. Yes. So she doesn't see where he's come from. Right. She's just like, I don't even need to because I know you're a hundred percent. She okay. got in her own way at that point. Interesting. And it doesn't affect her at all. Right. Like there's no negative. It's like I say, she got in her own way. So now like the world's going to end. No, like, you know, she's right about everything so far. That's how she got this whole town to follow her, whether it's through, I don't know, generalizations or not. But like yeah. she allows her past experience in my theory to not cause a fortune reading to prevent her from doing a fortune for For Sokka Sokka, because she feels like she doesn't need to gotcha yeah cool Mm -hmm. at that point aunt Wu leads Aang to a secluded room that is lit by candles and a small fire at its center she explains that the most reliable way of telling fortunes is with bones because the bones never lie she instructs Aang to take a bone and throw it into the fire. The cracks that form will reveal his destiny. Mm-hmm. So I did find a word for this. Apparently, Aunt Wu's fortune-telling method is, of choice is osteomancy. It's a specific one, though. So I, I did this research, too, because I was like, oh, that's oh, very cool. interesting. Osteomancy by itself was actually more Africa in South America, specifically. Um, there's one... It's like a pyromancy, like variation of osteomancy, which is what she does. So osteomancy mm-hmm. in and of itself is just throw the bones on the ground. Look at what happens, the order in which they're in, stuff like that. Throwing them in the fire is different. And that is specific to ancient China. Oh, gotcha. Um, as, Interesting. Yeah, it's very cool. So it, it's like not only the cracks in the bones, but I think how the fire interacts with the cracks in the bones. Very cool. OK, so, yeah, osteomancy, then, if that's the case, has a lot of origins in Africa. But then osteomancy... The version that's related to pyromancy has its origins in ancient China. And that's the one that I was reading about because yeah. that one apparently was practiced in the Neolithic period and Shang and Zhao dynasties in the form of burning or heating oracle bones, which were usually the scapulae or the shoulder blades of oxen or turtle shells mm-hmm. to produce cracks that were then read as uh, these fortunes. And so this is the one that they based Aunt Wu's fortune telling off of. Mm. It's called pyro osteomancy. Okay. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, real quick, I forgot because we were talking about Aunt Wu. The voice actress for Aunt Wu is uh, Sai Chin. She has been in so many things. It's, ridic- it's kind of ridiculous. So Memoirs of a Geisha is one of the more recent well-known oh. things she's been in. Grey's Anatomy, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Now You See Me 2, uh, Casino Royale, and... Another James Bond movie, an older one, though, You Only Live Twice, which had Sean Connery, I believe, as the James Bond for that one. Oh, my so God. She'd been around for so a little bit. you just listing those movies yeah. immediately gave me the actress's face yeah. in my head. Because yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about just because of the roles in all of those movies. That is very cool. Yeah. And our last fun fact before moving on in our story is the design for Aunt Wu's Fortune Salon was done by none other than Elsa Garagarza, who was the architecture graduate who designed Fire Lord Ozai's throne room. I was going to say that name sounds very familiar, just like we talked about it just last week. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or two weeks ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I am a personal fan now of Elsa's work. I might go look into her other projects Mm. because... Just seeing the sketches, if anyone wants to Google it, 
just seen her sketches for Ozai's throne room and Aunt Wu's salon, the amount of detail is beautiful. Mm. Really great work. All right, so Aunt Wu and Aang take a seat by the fire and watch as the bone is heated by the flames. Soon, a very large crack nearly splits the bone in two. Aunt Wu is startled by this and exclaims that she's never seen it before. The cracks soon become so innumerable that the entire bone explodes into many shards. Aunt Wu interprets incredulously that Aang will be involved in a great battle, an awesome conflict between the forces of good and evil, a battle whose outcome will (laughs) determine the fate of the whole world. Yeah, yeah, I knew that already. But did it say anything about a girl? Aang says. I love that this is probably the most interesting fortune that uh, Aunt Wu has ever done, maybe ever in her life. And she's like wrapped up and she's like this battle of good versus evil and like all of like the spirit world and the and the physical world. Everything lies in the balance. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what about love? Yeah. <laughs> Her reaction to she's like stunned. Yeah. She's at a loss for words. And she's like, love? You want to hear about a girl? Yep. So good. Oh, my God. It's just classic Aang where he's so nonchalant about his destiny. But it also is kind of yeah. a coping mechanism, I think, too. Yeah, he doesn't take life so seriously. Yeah. And so it allows him to focus on the moment, the present. Yeah, he actually can't handle, I think, focusing on something for too long. We saw that a couple episodes back where he was literally pacing in anxiety. He was a ball of anxiety about being the Avatar and like having yeah. to learn all this stuff so quick. So like it, it is like a coping mechanism where he can't actually like focus on what's going to happen and how unprepared he is. Yeah, like this, I think a lot of this Katara stuff while we will learn it flourishes into more is a great distraction for him right now and he needs it yeah i i I don't mean that in like a negative connotation right like he he needs to focus on something else that's not saving the world right yeah Yeah. give him a a bit of a break yeah to focus on life stuff before focusing on end of the world stuff. right yeah exactly seeing how disappointed ang seems after telling him she didn't see anything about love in the bones she throws in an oopsie daisy and pretends to have missed something in her reading. She picks up a bone shard and says, trust your heart and you will be with the one you love. That's nice. She didn't have to do that. That was really nice. I know she didn't. She's a nice lady. Yeah, she is. I think it's also an example of very quick processing on her part, because I think you're right. This may have been the biggest fortune she's ever told someone. Yeah. And yet she was able to process through it, internalize what she learned, and then respond to the way that Aang was Aang reacted to give him what he wanted for peace of mind. Yep. To kind of go further with the whole debunking conversation, I did think it was interesting how Aunt Wu's character seems to follow that trend you see in other media where you have a fortune teller or you have a psychic and they actually do have an ability, but it's one of those abilities that you see in vital moments and they pretty much will run a business that's centered around just the usual cold readings you see psychics use. Mm-hmm. The cold reading where they look for clues in their clients' uh, dress or behavior or body language to give them their fortunes. But then, of course, that one vital scene comes through. Your your protagonist arrives and then the psychic will have this moment where they produce a true fortune by going into a trance or whatever. I felt like Aunt Wu was written in that vein where she does have a power. It's just something that you don't see with every single fortune that she does because she has a business to run. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that she always um, uses her power when telling fortunes like like we saw with Sokka. 
I think sometimes she just makes assumptions based off of the person and goes off of that just like really quickly. Because I would imagine using her power is probably time consuming, also oftentimes unnecessary. So I'm just kind of... She may not even be able to use it consciously. Right, right. So like for me, it's very similar. There was this movie, I don't know if you remember, it was called Push. It was with Chris Evans. Um, And it's literally just like people of powers, like the show Heroes, but just not in the Heroes okay. universe. And Ming-Na Wen was in this, and she played a very similar character where she could tell the future, but she just had this like facade up of just like, yeah, I'll tell your future, I'll read some cards, whatever, but she didn't actually need to read the cards. She could just do it using her abilities. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's like you have like the consumer aspect of her power, which allows her to survive in society. And then there's the actual power, which is what we saw with her and Aang. That is exactly what I'm I'm saying. Yeah. The three leave Aunt Wu's salon and Sokka proclaims that now at least they've seen that fortune telling is just a big stupid hoax. Neither Katara nor Aang share this viewpoint, however, because they're pleased with their readings. Sokka angrily insists that his life will be calm and happy and joyful and then kicks a pebble. The pebble hits a sign and ricochets into his head. <laughs> I love this so much. I love it. So apparently um that sign has a Chinese character on it that ironically yeah. reads a good blessing. Oh my gosh. So I thought that was very funny. That's such a thing that would happen to Sokka too. Oh, totally. Yeah. Very much is. Around this point, Katara asks Aang what his fortune was. Some stuff, he says, you'll find out. And that little exchange right there. I giggled. I giggled really bad at that. I know. Me too. <laughs> I forgot how much I appreciate that kind of love story. It was like a breath of fresh air just to have like this sweet and innocent interest. Even his interest in Katara, the reason why he has feelings for her is because of their bond. Like I I appreciated that so much. I think they had this bond, right? They have this bond that is friendship and that's growing into a bigger relationship. And then for whatever reason, her putting on the necklace just like snapped him into this train of thought. Yeah. Aesthetic attraction. Yeah. 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 I just love it. I'm I'm honestly over a lot of relationships and the way they're depicted in mainstream media nowadays. Oh, so yeah, it was sure. nice. The group notices that a crowd of villagers are gathering in the town square and learn that they're waiting to hear Aunt Wu's annual cloud reading that will predict the fate of the village. Aang makes the comment that one of the clouds looks like a fluffy bunny and the calm man they met before tells him he better hope it's not a fluffy bunny because that would point to doom and destruction. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> Me too. A nearby villager explains that Aunt Wu's cloud reading will predict whether or not Mount Makapu will remain dormant for another year. The calm man says that they used to do this themselves by climbing up the mountain to check on the volcano. But ever since Aunt Wu moved into the village 20 years ago, they leave it to her predictions. The, the, so the volcano is called Mount Makapu, right? Uh, which means bulging eye in Hawaiian. Uh, that is also a name that is given to the extreme eastern end of the island of Oahu in the Hawaiian Islands. So, so cool. Yeah, I like that. I like the origin. How it's um, it's Hawaiian. It's islander in origin, but you know, it's a volcano. So volcanoes are typically found in those island regions, mm, right? Yep. Yep. Nice little knot there. Yeah. Aunt Wu arrives and takes her place. Using the shapes of the clouds, she predicts good crops a good year for twins, and the village not being destroyed by the volcano. Aang uses this opportunity to try and confess his feelings for Katara, telling her that he likes her, but more than normal. However, Katara doesn't hear him because she's too caught up in Aunt Wu's prediction, 
and rushes off before Aang can finish. Poor Aang. Poor guy. He's really trying. He's trying to like manifest his destiny right now. Follow his heart and he will find his true love. And his true love is just oblivious because she's so focused on, you know, fortunes. Well, she's she's so focused on Aang without knowing that she's focused on Aang. Isn't that hilarious? That's really funny. I like that. I love that. I'm sorry, everyone who ships Zutara, but yeah, I'm a Katang shipper. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. We're going to talk about it, though. We're going to discuss it when it comes up and explore that a little bit. So I could change my mind, too. I reserve the right to change my mind once they start focusing on Zuko and not having a stupid top knot thing. (laughs) True. When that comes up, his top knot is long gone. Yes. It soon becomes apparent that Katara is obsessed with hearing more about her future. She visits Aunt Wu once more and asks for a reading about the man she's supposed to marry. Then, if she should dress warmly the next day. And finally, what she should have for breakfast the next morning. With each question, Aunt Wu is becoming more and more agitated until she finally, politely kicks Katara out. So, I think I'm going to say it right here, really quickly, that Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. Um, There's one. It stars William Shatner. Uh, This one is called Nick of Time. And I'll say it very quickly because I know we've been, our time is getting close on this one. William Shatner goes into a diner with a girlfriend, wife, whatever. There is, remember those old timey jukeboxes that were on each table? Oh, yeah. Like in, in old diners. So they have one of those. And they say that this can tell your future if you put in a quarter. So William Shatner puts in the quarter. He gets like a prediction of like a waitress is going to drop a glass, for example. And then the glass drops and he goes, oh, that's really neat. Let me put another one in. Puts another one in and it keeps on going and going and going and going. His girlfriend leaves him. He's still in this diner, putting in quarters, feeding this fortune telling machine. And his fortune ends up being that you're going to die in the seat. Oh, man. Something to that effect. Or something like you're never going to leave the seat. And that causes him to like kind of snap out of it and realize what has happened. How much time had passed? I don't even remember. It's been such a long time. So like I watched this like maybe 10, 15 years ago, but it's one that stuck with me very succinctly because of the message it's trying to portray. Yeah. If you try to figure out your future, you will just get fixated on it. And eventually your future is going to be nothing because you're just too scared to leave. You're too scared to do anything because you don't know what will happen. You have the safety blanket of knowing what will happen next. Why would you leave that? You would leave it because mm. you have to live your life. So what Katara, the reason why this brought up memories for me is because Katara is literally doing that same thing with Aunt Wu. She's just like, tell me more what is this what is that like should i wear a jacket tomorrow like what should i eat like things things like that right like she gets very like all of a sudden she doesn't know what to wear the next day yeah she almost becomes helpless right it's like she hands over her autonomy as a person and just instead asks for the answers to every Mm -hmm. action that she's about to take Mm -hmm. and like why wouldn't you right if you knew that you could like you're gonna stub your toe tomorrow and it was going to Mm -hmm. suck really bad wouldn't you want to know that so you could just be a little more careful and not stub your toe or avoid that corner? Yeah. But if you avoid that corner entirely, you never go to that part of your house again. And then all of a sudden, what happens with that? It's very like interesting, this whole kind of like the dangers of knowing too much about your future. But also there's a lot of we talked about it already in, in a prior episode, determination or determinism versus free will, which is also kind of in mm-hmm. here because if someone can tell the future, do you really have free will? Right. So exactly a lot going on in this in this seemingly kind of filler episode that's its only case. It's only like real thing is to kind of establish Ang and Katara. 
seemingly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I love about it. Yeah. Even in voice acting, even in the most filleriest episode mm-hmm. of the filler episodes, mm-hmm. there's still like a voice actor whose name is noteworthy. Yeah. Just like in fluffy episodes like this, there's still deeper themes to explore. Yep. Love it. Yes. Back in the village square, Sokka is steaming about the villagers' blind faith in Aunt Wu's predictions. He sets out to prove Aunt Wu's predictions wrong by asking each villager what Aunt Wu's prediction was and then trying to show them that the resulting change in their behavior will, of course, make the prediction come true. But his reasoning falls on deaf ears. I love how this plays out and just how how blind to logic and reason the villagers are because he yeah. goes up to that first guy and he's like, hey, what did Aunt Wu tell you? What was your prediction? Well, that I'd find my true love when I was wearing red shoes. Yeah. And Sokka's like, okay, so those red shoes you're wearing, how many days have you worn them? Every day. Well, ever since she <laughs> gave me the fortune. It's like, well, then of course you're going to meet your true love if you're wearing red shoes every day of your life. But the guy's like, whatever. You know, well, the guy wasn't, this was very funny. The guy wasn't whatever. The guy was, he was just like, he's like, gee, thanks. It's almost like, so he said, oh, that's right. his train of thought is if I wear these shoes every day, I'm going to meet my true love. And Sokka's point is, yes, of course, if you wear the same thing every day, eventually you're going you're to meet your true love and you're just going to so happen to be wearing those shoes. But he took that as a affirmation of what Aunt Wu told him. Yes. Which was very funny. Yes. Completely misunderstood what Sokka was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Sokka's mission gets interrupted when Aang asks him for advice on girls because, you know, Sokka's like the expert right. on this topic. He's <laughs> kissed one girl ever in his life. But, you know, thinking Aang is referring to Meng, Sokka gives him the advice that he should act aloof because nice guys like him just mess up by being too nice. Mm-hmm. Aang, of course, referring to Katara, takes this advice to heart and leaves just as Meng comes up to say hi. Sokka is impressed at this immediate example of aloofness with Meng and says, wow, that kid is good. <laughs> Aang finds Katara leaving Aunt Wu's and follows her to the market where she buys a papaya, even though she hates papayas. He practices being aloof, which predictably backfires and makes him wonder if being aloof isn't his style. Just then, he sees the woman who received the panda lily fortune from Aunt Wu nearby. Another villager, now presumably her true love, is giving her one of these rare flowers and Aang butts in to find out where he can get one of those flowers for himself. He doesn't just butt in. He sandwiches himself in between the two and it's like crawling on them. And it's just like, where did you find these? Yeah, you're having this like really intimate, like romantic moment. And he's just like, hey, (laughs) this flower here. (laughs) Where'd you get this? Exactly. (laughs) Aang ropes Sokka into his plans, and the two of them hike up Mount Makapu to find one of these rare flowers. Along the way, Aang explains to Sokka that he's seen the panda lily in action, and boy, does it work. Sokka's wise and sage advice is that flowers are fine once you're married. But during these early stages, Aang should maintain maximum aloofness. They reach the rim of the volcano and find more than just the delicate panda lilies. Aunt Wu was wrong. The volcano is active, and it looks like it's about to erupt. Aang and Sokka fly back to the village on his glider to warn the people in the village of the coming danger. They find Katara in front of Aunt Wu's, complaining about getting kicked out again after all the free business she gave her. Mm. Katara defensively tells Sokka that it will take a lot to convince her that Aunt Wu is wrong. A distant rumble and smoke emitting from Mount Makapu quickly takes care of that. The trio rush to the village square to warn the villagers. 
However, Sokka by now is recognized as someone who doesn't believe in Aunt Wu, and no one believes him. Katara tries to help by explaining that Sokka and Aang saw the lava with their own eyes. Well, I heard Aunt Wu's prediction with my own ears, replies the man they met in the woods. Aang jumps onto a roof and urges them to take their fate into their own hands and to not blindly trust in Aunt Wu's predictions. But no matter what any of them say, the villagers aren't convinced. Understanding that the villagers will only listen to Aunt Wu, the three hatch a scheme to steal Aunt Wu's cloud reading book. And this is the danger of that Twilight Zone episode was trying to say. Yes. So Aunt Wu predicts, and we'll, we'll learn accurately so, that the town will be fine. But if Aang, Sokka, and Katara agreed with that, and Sokka wasn't questioning everything, then they wouldn't have been. It's very interesting. And that would have been the last time that Aunt Wu was wrong. <laughs> I mean, technically, it would have been the one and only time that Aunt Wu was wrong. True. The one and only time and then never again because everyone would be dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this drives me up a wall. This scene where they're trying to explain the danger and trying to get people to see and listen to logic and reason. Yeah. And just the answers are, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. We know you don't believe in Aunt Wu, Mr. Science and Reason Lover. Yeah. And then can your science explains why it rains? Yes. And Zaka's like, yes, yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But like this willful ignorance is uncomfortable to me because I know there's people in our world just like this. Yeah. Just like in any world, there's going to be a huge variety of people mm-hmm. who believe some things and don't believe others who subscribe to science and then others who subscribe to complete unfounded beliefs but it was just painful for me to watch this as someone who does believe in logic and reason and science oh sure yeah <laughs> and the other thing i just want to point out really quickly is aunt Wu apparently drinks her own kool-aid so to speak because uh-huh. like if you have a volcano you want to at least check on it to make sure that it's not going to actually like explode right yeah. or erupt so the fact that even she isn't checking in on this means to me that she believes in her own abilities to a fault uh-huh. So I thought that, I thought that was interesting because like a con artist would be like, yeah, that's not going to blow up. And then like the second anything starts to happen, that looks like it's going to erupt. They're gone. They're like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Time to go. Or they'll check it. Yeah. And then cover their butts by right. giving an updated fortune. Yeah. To make sure that they are never portrayed as wrong. But no, that's a good point, because if Aunt Wu is stretching the truth, regardless of if she has abilities or not, if the majority of her business is focused around just giving these generalized fortunes or doing cold readings or whatever, then she knows where her limitations are. Right. If she is using the cloud reading book to read these arbitrary fortunes, you would think that she would kind of like go double check on things yep. just to make sure that it's not going to bite her in the butt later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think at this point you're right. I think she has to some extent drank her own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. Aang runs into Mang in Aunt Wu's chambers as he's looking for the cloud reading book. Mang appears defeated and asks Aang if he doesn't like her. Of course I like you, he says, but not the way I like you, she replies. Realizing what she's saying, Aang quietly agrees that no, he doesn't like her in that way. Mang continues to explain that it's really hard when you like someone and they don't think of you the same way. Aang agrees, then is surprised when Mang compliments Katara and says she sees why Aang likes her so much. Aang assures Mang that one day she'll meet a great guy who will completely fall for her. Mang gives him the cloud book before he leaves, knowing from her stalking of him that it's what he was looking for. Her little grin was so funny, too. Like a little ashamed. Yeah, it's a little bashful, yeah. like, 
So I may have been stalking you. And so I grabbed this ahead of time. Here you go. Yeah. I think this is a good lesson, though, because I think a lot of times we will get hung up on our own feelings Mm -hmm. and forget that the other person in the situation has their own feelings that should be respected just as much as yours. Yeah, 100%. So like Meng isn't trying to force Aang into a relationship with her. She's just hoping that he'll feel the same way. And then when he's not, she just admits that it's hard and then moves on. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, it's going to take her a little bit to get over it, but it's like she she comes to terms with it not happening and just accepts that she'll have to get over these feelings regardless of how long it takes. Right. There, there's no violence. There's no outburst. And she even helps them. Yeah. Yeah. With the book in hand, Aang and Katara fly into the clouds and bend the clouds into the symbol for volcanic doom. Surprise, a skull. I thought it would be a bunny. Right? A fluffy bunny. <laughs> Um, This scene, though. Mm. Oh, my gosh. This scene. Yeah. I didn't realize that this is one of the scenes that Aang flashes back to in a future episode when he's thinking about his feelings of Katara. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to mention that right now so we can all remember this when we get to that scene in the future. Mm. But I thought this was so beautiful and low key, super romantic for these two benders who we now know are destined for each other to use their combined bending to create this thing in the clouds. It's like so picturesque. It's really cool, yeah. Again, I'm going to repeat, I am an unashamed Katang shipper. I'm sorry, all of you Zutara fans out there, but I'm just going to gush whenever there's cute things like this. And I might flip-flop, so soon I'll be on your side, my friends. Soon. (laughs) On the ground, Sokka brings Aunt Wu to the village square to show her the foreboding clouds forming above. Aunt Wu gasps in horror. After that, they have the attention of the village. Aang and Sokka present their plan of digging a big trench around the village, which will allow the lava to be channeled towards the nearby river instead of into the village. With the help of the village's earthbenders and a lot of shovels for everyone else, the trench is dug just in time for the volcano to blow. Did you notice that when right after the cut, when it comes back to them gathered in the village, it's the war music from the Southern Water Tribe? No, that's really cool. It's the tribal music with the drums that we first heard when in the first two episodes when Sokka's like, okay, men, oh, we have to prepare for war. Yeah, it's a plan that, theme. That song. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, I love the fact that Aang introduces Sokka by saying, all right, everyone, Sokka has a plan. It's like, oh, Sokka has a plan, fam. We're good. <laughs> Sokka, the idea guy, has a plan. Finally. You have one job, Sokka. Give us those brilliant ideas. Mm. Um, Also, small thing, but I wanted to bring it up so we could talk about it a little bit. The two twins in this episode, Poi and Ping. Voiced by, really quickly, voiced by Cameron Monaghan, who was in Shameless, Gotham, Reign of the Supermen, the animated movie. He voiced Superboy. And for all those Star Wars fans out there, the latest Star Wars game, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, he's the main character and his likeness is actually used uh, for (gasps) that character. So, no way. Yeah. So he does. Uh, he's like pre-puberty in this. So it doesn't sound anything like them. I think they have one spoken line, the two of them, but it is him. So that's really cool. So like on his IMDb, this is way on the bottom. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that. But yeah, with with Poi and Ping, it's definitively shown that even with identical twins, one of them can be born a bender while the other is not. Yeah. But of course, the exception to this identical twin rule is with the air nomads, Mm -hmm. because with the air nomads, 
twins, if one of them is an airbender, the other is an airbender, like period, forever and always. It almost adds like a mystical element to bending and not like a genetic. So it's more like magic and less like X-Men, essentially, is how I'm kind of viewing it, right? Like a mutation. Like a mutation. You're right. Right. Exactly. So like... I always thought that like twins would both have it because technically, the, I mean, if we want to get really scientifical, it was the same embryo essentially, and they just like split yeah. right, and that was now they're that. That, but it's more of a magical, just kind of like chooses seemingly at random who gets to bed and mm-hmm. who doesn't. So I thought that was a nice touch. You know what it could be, and you might hate this. I probably I'm I'm bracing myself right now. <laughs> could be midichlorians ah that's the worst (laughs) i hate them so much i know you do (laughs) a lot of star wars fans hate them because why just why Why do you need to explain it just it it just is kind of like bending it just is it just is that's all you need Mm -hmm. as the trench around the village fills with lava it soon becomes clear that it won't be enough there's simply too much lava for it to contain with even more flowing down the mountain Sokka and Katara begin to flee to safety, but turn to see Aang where they left him, staring into the heat and smoke. Aang leaps into the air and uses his airbending to push the lava back with an incredible gust of wind. Then he uses his breath to bend a second gust of wind that cools the lava in place for miles around the village. Sokka looks on in stunned amazement and remarks, Sometimes I forget what a powerful bender that kid is. What did you just say? She asks. Nothing, Sokka replies, just that Aang is one powerful bender. Realization and wonderment pass over Katara's face as she quietly agrees. I suppose he is. Ah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh my God. This scene is so good, specifically for the cuts and the decision to pan across her face. If I can just geek out for a moment Mm -hmm. about the cinematography and the way that they animated this them running away and then it cutting back to Aang doing these huge bending moves to save the village. And then Sokka looking at Aang through the soot in the smoke and it cutting to Aang just standing there. And then the camera pan across Katara's face as you can watch her face realize what he just said and what it meant. Yeah. It's I watched it like five times. It was so good. (laughs) It's also very interesting to see the um, difference between how Aang realizes he's starting to develop feelings versus Katara. Like Katara does this yeah. very small gesture, which is wear a necklace that Aang made for her. And all of a sudden Aang is struck That's by these catalyst. feelings. Yeah. This is catalyst is a very good way to put it. And then it's this huge momentous thing that Aang's doing in conjunction with this like advice or whatever, this fortune that Katara sees what was in front of her the whole time. So it's very interesting to see that um, dichotomy, I guess, for lack of a better term, just the difference between the, the two. Yeah. Oh, no, I love that point. You're right. I think it takes less convincing emotionally for Aang to be all in on liking Katara. Mm-hmm. But then for Katara, who's so focused on like her destiny, it takes this fortune, quote unquote, becoming true right. in front of her eyes yeah. for her to see what's been in front of her face the whole time, like you said. Right. Oh, that's that's poetic. Yeah. That's beautiful. It also shows their personalities, like you said, very well. Like Aang yes. is a very simple boy with simple wants and desires and needs and stuff like that. Like he has this huge prophecy in front of him. But if you take that out of it, he's just 
a simple little kid. And Katara is really focused on saving the world, I would say more so than Aang at this point. I think so too, or at least she's more outwardly focused on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Before the gang leaves the village, Aang returns Aunt Wu's book. She is amused that Aang stole the book and controlled the clouds in order to save the village and calls it very clever. Sokka, still trying to get through to the villagers, says he hopes everyone learned a lesson about not relying too much on fortune telling. But Aunt Wu was right, says the man they met in the woods. Aunt Wu predicted the village wouldn't be destroyed, and it wasn't. Katara steers her brother away before he gets too angry again. <laughs> yeah, I'm shaking my head too. I'm just like, these villagers. These villagers. The Aang asks Aunt Wu if she didn't really see love in his fortune and was just telling him what he wanted to hear. I'll tell you a little secret, young airbender. Just as you reshaped those clouds, you have the power to shape your own destiny. As another adventure comes to an end, our three heroes get back on Appa and say goodbye to the villagers. Take care, Meng, Katara says. The little girl smiles and waves, but then scowls a moment later after they've left. <laughs> Bluesy. I love this so much. It's such a stupid little thing, but every time I watch this episode, it just started cracking up because she's just like, yeah, I'm super positive as soon as they're gone. Floozy. And the word yeah. floozy, too. It's just an old person <laughs> word. I love it. It's such a good choice. <laughs> All right. And that is our episode. That's it. So a lot of good stuff going on in this episode. I do appreciate how this really starts to establish Katara's and Aang's relationship because we're going to only see it continue to evolve from here, though it is a slow burn, which I also really appreciate mm -hmm. because it's not like the next day they're in love and it's a fully formed relationship. They really kind of build it up yeah. across the series. And I, I really enjoy that. Like if it was just one of those things where they turn around and they're just like, we're married now. It's like, what? No, that's not how that works. They're learning not just about like the world, but they're learning about each other and themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which, you know, for any aspiring writer out there, I think that's what we need a little bit more of. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, mm -hmm. tell me, who is your MVP? I'm very torn. I have a three way tie right now. Oh, no, really? Well, maybe two. The obvious answer, I think, for me is Sokka because of his skepticism. He saw like what he viewed as an injustice or a wrong, and he was trying to fix it, no matter the odds. The other one that I have is also Meng, because Meng, like, while at first it seems her whole point was to be a red herring in terms of like who Aang might end up with or be with or whatever. Yeah. She ended up being a very positive character. She, things did not go her way, but she still helped and was still able, able to overcome her own personal feelings to help with the greater good. Yeah. Those are great reasons for both of those characters. My MVP, MVPs mm -hmm. are Sokka and Aang because together they save the village. Mm -hmm. Aang through trying to follow his heart and then Sokka following his logic and reason. He's just stubborn. He's just sticking to his guns and being stubborn, really. Yeah, yeah. the one time his stubbornness. Oh, yeah. oh gosh. No, that's great because the whole episode, he keeps getting like knocked down. Yep. He gets attacked by he gets, geese. He gets knocked down and then gets up again and then they're never going to keep him down and he gets knocked down <laughs> and he gets up again. <laughs> and then hit in the face with pebbles. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. All right. How about moral of the episode? Uh, moral of the episode. 
don't believe everything you're told. Don't mm-hmm. don't blindly mm-hmm. believe everything you're told. Do yeah. your research. Keep your wits about you. Continue to question things, even if they seem pretty obvious, because that's just how you learn. And that's how you're able to, in my opinion, not get taken advantage of. Yeah. Because if Aunt Wu was not a nice person, she could have totally just took that town for everything that it's worth. She is fortunately, True. we saw it with Aang and her like reading of like her, of what his love life might look like and things like that. Um, she could have very easily been like, oh, yeah, you're going to die tomorrow unless you give me 500 gold pieces. <laughs> yeah. So what about you? Mine is you have the power to shape your own destiny. Unless you're in the Netflix series, Dark. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true. I, I like how different pieces of fiction will have a different take on fate versus free will or destiny versus free will. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, It's a really fun topic to play around with. And I think both Avatar The Last Airbender and Dark, for anyone who's been thinking about watching it, I do highly recommend that you do. I'm actually starting a podcast that's going to be going live this month. I'm so excited for this. I'm so like... I am so excited too. I also have to rush through and watch the rest of it because I've just been sitting on it because I've been so busy with Avatar stuff. I know. I know. Yeah. It's going to be a lot to, to manage, but I'm going to inevitably watch Dark for a third time. So if that tells you anything, I've watched the series twice. I'm making another podcast about it. It's good stuff. It's, it's, I can't confirm. I'm, about, I'm halfway through it all. It's, it's amazing. All right. Well... That is all the time we have for today. We would like to, again, take a moment to thank everyone for continuing to support us through reviews, emails, and even just listening each week. We appreciate each and every one of you. You can write to us directly at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at podcastavatar. Or you, you, can, you can leave a five-star written review with any of that stuff. And remember, if you are caught up on all the episodes and you want to hang out with me for a little bit longer, uh, you can do so over at twitch.tv forward slash Booster Greg every Monday and Friday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we've had a, a couple of uh, new friends join us from the podcast. So if you want to even talk hey. Avatar, we can do that uh, right now. I realize if you watch this in two years, it's not going to be the case anymore. But right now I'm playing Ghost of Tsushima which is like really scratching that feudal Japan itch that I have whenever I see like the Fire Nation. So oh, yeah, it really is. It gives me the feel. So it's a really good time. It's a gorgeous yeah. game. Oh, it's so good. And you can find me, Acorn, on Twitter at Acorn Bandit and online at joysons.com where I create enamel pins. Coming up next time. How to deodorize a stinky sky bison. And the true meaning of family. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar, the the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. (laughs) 